0: You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 83. And today we're asking the question Does the language we use during accident investigations influence the recommendations that are produced? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. My name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University in Australia. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, a confession right up front, I've been absolutely slammed with work and it was my responsibility to prepare an episode and this is a little bit late. So sort of. taking, the, taking the, an easy route. So we picked up a piece of research that was done at the lab and Drew was uh, one of the supervisors of the student and um, also a co-author of the paper. So we sort of sidetracked the preparation for today. But in this episode, we're going to focus on a paper by Dr. Derek Hegarty. So Derek's just been awarded his PhD from Griffith University. So congratulations, uh, Derek. That's only uh, been publicly announced in the last few weeks. And we thought that rather than interview him right away about the findings of his entire PhD, uh, which we'll do in a later episode, uh, we'll give him a bit, bit of a break from, I suppose, from spending time with Drew and uh, we'll talk ourselves about one of his earlier papers. So Drew, do you want to give us some background for this paper?
1: Sure. So, so I'll, I'll leave it to the episode where we talk about the whole PhD to talk about the details of it. But the broad idea was that Derek wanted to try from both a research and a practical perspective to transform the way incident investigations were done in his organization and like, see what happens if people actually adopt a lot of the rhetoric that people have been saying in the past few years about moving away from retributive towards more restorative justice and moving away from human error style investigations to much more systems focused investigations. But before he got into that side of things, He had a question about the language of investigations. So Derek's idea was that just the way we talk about investigating incidents and accidents shapes the way we think about them. And we've already done it once we start saying we're going to investigate and we say it's an incident. It sounds so much like police language. Why are we doing an investigation, not an exploration? Um, Why are we calling it an incident rather than just something that's happened? And there's a lot of work in psychology that comes at it from this same sort of point of view, that the language we use about things can shape our thinking and our concepts of it. And we'll get a bit into that, some of the cool experiments that have been done. But David, do you want to sort of like talk at all about how we do instant investigations now before we
0: dive into it? You've probably had
1: more practical experience than me in just doing investigations. Actually,
0: I actually haven't done an investigation for nearly 10 years, uh, Drew. Um... The last one I did was a really, really serious investigation, and um, haven't haven't done one since. So I guess, Drew, but but I guess it's worth talking a little bit about, you know, maybe common industry experience around investigations. And you know, I think oh, is it even possible to talk about common industry experience? Um, maybe I'm a bit out of touch, but normally an organisation will go, something's happened. There's either an actual or potential quite significant consequence to a persons like serious injury or fatality. So we need to investigate what went wrong so that we can fix it. Typical aspects of investigation, depending on the methodology you'll use, you'll want to do a sequence of events or a description of the incident. Like what happened? Start at the start of the shift or the start of the day or an hour before, work through and go, do we understand the sequence of events and what happened? And then once we know what happened, then it allows us to talk about what uh, causes were. So what are the things in that sequence of events? that were out of place out of shape wrong uh non-compliant uh or not or or missed that caused the incident and then once we can land on a set of causes or even some organizations a single cause then we can go straight to recommendations and actions what do we what do we need to do and depending again on methodology there's different frameworks for how to classify causes and let's we won't get into a big cause debate but basically that's it as far as i know You've you've got the event. You want to understand the sequence or the the description. You want to land on what you think was wrong that caused it and then do something about it. Is that the sort of oversimplification you were looking for?
1: I I think that's pretty much what I was after, David. And And I guess I wanted to get you to talk about that leading into the fact that there is hardly any research about accident investigations, Which might seem a bit surprising to our listeners, because there is a huge amount of academic literature published about investigations. But most of it is telling you how to do investigations, or it's using the results of investigations. But there's very little that looks at how and why organizations go about doing it. So we don't have any generalized knowledge, we just have this sort of like folklore about how to do it. And we've got consultants and advocates and gurus telling us different ways to do it. And we've got academics publishing different accident investigation models and saying, why aren't you using the models? But very little research about it. What little there is basically sort of like tells two broad ideas. You've got your engineering idea, which is the kind of we're doing investigations to fix things. So we start from something's gone wrong. We systematically examine the causes. And then all of our recommendations are ways of fixing the system so that whatever went wrong doesn't go wrong again. So it's almost like there's a single truth, or at least close to a single truth, about what the causes are, and our job is to uncover them and then use that uncovering in order to come up with recommendations. And then more from a sociology point of view, we've got this idea that investigations are how organisations recover from accidents. So accidents are disturbing events. Accidents create a lot of uncertainty. They create a lot of distress. And our investigations are a way of going from uncertainty back into certainty by following a well-defined set of processes and creating some sort of closure or resolution. Which actually, if you think in terms of steps, it looks the same. But the difference is that in the engineering point of view, there is a real truth out there. In the sociological process, we don't need a real truth, except that possibly coming up with a narrative that everyone's happy with might actually be a path to closure, that, that finding a single narrative might actually be some sort of sense-making or healing exercise for the organisation. That's more from a functional point of view, not because that single narrative actually exists. And so,
0: Drew, I like the opening couple of sentences of this paper, which go, I'll, I'll just quote them, how stories are framed can greatly influence the reader's interpretation of the event and the actions taken as a result. The analysis of accidents and the accident report style used to share the story provides a prime example of this. So that's a pretty good, pretty clear, clear intro of what we're about to read in in the paper. So what basically we're we're saying here is that the the how we tell the story of the accident in the investigation frames the the actions. So I suppose this study is trying to say, well, if we change the way the story is told, is it going to change the actions as a result? Which I think,
1: regardless of what you think of investigations, seems a fairly logical thing to test out. Um, But but let's go a little bit directly into the paper. So the authors are Derek, Sidney Decker, and myself. Uh, The title of the paper is, uh, it's got like a title and a subtitle. The title is Accident Report Interpretation. Uh, David, do you have the subtitle written down? No, Drew,
0: I'd left it there because I was so disappointed. I was like, Drew must have had the day off when you're coming up with the titles for this paper. because. Listeners, long-time listeners might might know that Drew has one of Drew's many many talents is coming up with really interesting names for papers like safety work versus the safety of work and safety clutter. So yeah, I was very disappointed Drew with this title. No offense, uh, Derek.
1: You know, I, I do have co-authors and I don't always have to like insist on stamping my
0: own voice all over the quality okay. of stuff that they're doing. Just my stuff. <laughs> There you go. Well, maybe Derek's, maybe the, the going in quality was, was, uh, was better for this one than with my, my normal papers. Yeah. Actually I, I have to double check. So the pa- paper
1: as published doesn't have a subtitle. The paper is just accident report interpretation.
0: You're a bit disappointed with yourself for that, aren't
1: you, Drew? <laughs> uh, just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's get onto what the paper actually does. I think probably let's start with the hypothesis that's behind the paper. So the hypothesis is if we present the same accident in three different ways, we're then going to give those three different versions to each person. So each, so each person only sees one version of the same accident. And then we're gonna ask them, what recommendations would you make? So we're not giving, we're giving them the, the report with everything stripped, with everything there, all the details, but the recommendations are missing. And so they've got to read the facts, and then decide what they would recommend. But what they don't know is that they're getting the story told in a particular way. And so the idea is these people who get given different reports, do they come up with different recommendations or the same recommendations? Because if everything's driven by the facts, then they should just give the same recommendations. If everything's given, driven by how you tell the story, they should give different recommendations.
0: Yeah, so Drew, I mean, there's a large sample population too. So ninety-three people who work for construction companies. I think there was at least a couple of different three or four or, or more construction companies involved. Uh, three different companies. So we issued, not we. So I had no involvement in it other than uh, five minutes preparing for the episode. So Drew and and Derek and and I'm guessing Sydney didn't do a lot either. gave oh, the- l- l- <laughs> let's let's
1: be totally honest here. David, the, the study was done while Derek was overworking in the UK. So I'm like advising in the background and helping him write it up. But everything here, when we say we did, okay. it means Derek did the work.
0: Great. So, so ninety-three people, three different companies got a sample of people from each of those different companies, like engineers, construction managers, human resources, safety advisors, different roles, but all people who would see incident investigations through the course of their work. And they were we just got an alphabetical list of of those people and gave and assigned them into one of three different conditions. So basically set them up to receive one of three different reports. So, Drew, do you want me to keep going? Uh, yeah, keep going and tell us about the three different reports. Yeah, so there was three conditions. So the report talks that are, or report variants. So like I said, each of the participants were randomly allocated, uh, one of the three. And so each person, like what Drew had mentioned earlier, only saw only ever saw one accident report. So they only ever thought, I'm getting shown a report. And what they were given was one of the three reports uh, of the same incident. And basically the reports, they were different in the language structure and style. And then, all, and then therefore also just a few, a few slight differences in information as well. And the three different variants were variant one used what was. Described as a more traditional linear type of story, uh, and it was called, I think, the human error variant, which was looking at more about the specific activities of the people involved in the event. Report variant two, it focused on uh, issues existing within the organization system. So it was more of a systems investigation report. And then report variant three was more along the lines of this uh multiple accounts, multiple stories, multiple perspectives on the incident. Drew, if I sort of describe those report variants, okay? Yes. So
1: one thing you might be wondering is sort of like exactly what is the difference between each of these reports? So uh, if we did this like as a very, very strict psychology experiment and we were only concerned precisely with language, what we might do is take um, a report and just change one of the words for an equivalent word and do that throughout the report. Like there are like real studies that do things like, Everywhere that it mentions the word worker, we change that to the word victim. And like have a very precise change. The way we did it in this study is we wrote up three separate accounts. So these accounts are describing the same incident, but they're entirely different. And I think one of the, I don't want to go so far as to say mistakes, but perhaps one of the weaknesses in this study is that because the different styles lend themselves to emphasizing different things... Then there are facts which are highlighted in some of the reports where you need to read between the lines of the other reports to understand those same facts. So they're spelt out in one, not spelt out in the other. All of the information in every report is factual. All of the information in every report is about the same real incident that happened. So these are plausibly three different reports that are written for that same incident. but they're in very different
0: styles. They highlight different facts and, they emphasise different things. Yeah, it's a good clarification, Drew. And we might sort of explain how that matters. I think Drew's explained how that matters, but also when we get to the conclusions, how you know maybe it, you know, in terms of some of the takeouts, it, it you know maybe doesn't matter so much. The participants they got these these reports, whichever the one of the three that they received, and at the end of the report there was just a heading that just says, um, you know, provide three recommendations based on the information provided in this report, and there was three blank boxes, and they just had to write three. Preventative or corrective actions that they would suggest as a result of the investigation report that they've just read. So, Drew, do we want to talk about a little bit more about the three variants or do we want to move on to the results?
1: Uh, let's move on to the results and then we might go back and talk about how we think the variants influence those results.
0: Great. So, the only thing that I'd probably say is the report, incident report one, from what I read in the paper, Drew, was actually the original real report from the company. So, we mentioned that Derek was trying to change investigations inside his company. So the the first report, the first account, if you like, Drew. From the way I understand it, was the actual original real incident account, and the two subsequent accounts were the rewritten to other variants. Is that is that right?
1: Yes, that that's correct. So so Derek didn't write the first report, but he was very familiar with the accident and yeah. wrote the second reports. So it was a real reports. report,
0: which is which is kind of cool because that part knowing that. You've actually given a real report from a company to 31 or 30, 30 or 31 out of the 93 people, and asked them what the actions are. is really good feedback for you as an organisation, and something that any of our listeners could do. Get your next incident investigation report, remove the actions, and send it to 20 or 30 people, and ask them what they think the action should be, and then do what we're just about to explain in terms of the analysis. And you might, you know, you might see how the way that you're doing your investigations are shaping. Uh, shaping the actions. So, Drew, talking about talking about these results. So, so when the traditional approach, what was called the traditional approach, or you know, the human or blame-focused approach, of those ninety-nine or so actions that came back, so thirty-three people with three actions each, if that's about the limit of my maths, but that seems about right. It looks like about seventy-one percent, seventy-two percent of those actions were system-focused and nearly 30%, the other 28% were human and blame-focused. So you got this sort of 70-30 rule so that 30% of the actions were about the individual and 70% of the actions were sort of organisational and system.
1: Yep. And so just to clarify what's meant by those two categories, a human or blame-focused one is anything that specifically says we should punish the people involved We should do some non-punitive action for the people involved, like training or reinforcing corrective behavior. So these are unambiguously, the person has made a mistake, we need to either fix the person or get rid of them. And then everything else goes into system-focused. So that ranges from communicating about the accident or reviewing the risk register, making changes to the physical workplaces, making general changes to work practices, making changes to systems and documents. And so, Drew,
0: given that there's about 30% of those recommendations in that, can I kind of assume, dangerous, but I could kind of assume that because each of the 30 people had to put three different actions, can I kind of assume that every single one of those 30 people actually had uh, punish or retrain actions as one of their three? It'd be probably pretty close to that.
1: David, the raw data isn't in the paper and I don't have in front of me, but I don't think that's in fact the case. I think we had quite a range of different people here. And one of the reasons why we've got so many system-focused, even on the original report, which is very blameworthy, is that we've got a lot of people who are also very system-focused in the organization. And so what I think is useful to take out of this first one is just how many systems actions there. So it's not like we were hiding details in this report that made it impossible to come up with system-focused recommendations. There there was enough detail there to come up with good system-focused recommendations It's just that lots of people wanted to also punish the person or retrain the person.
0: Yeah. And I think also, Drew, it could have been interesting to just ask people for actions and not necessarily ask them for three, because, you know, once you've gone past the one or two worker ones, then you've got to find something else um, to put in there, maybe update a document or communicate, send a safety alert or something like that. Yeah, I think, I think it would be really interesting just to say what recommendations should we do and see how many people put down for themselves.
1: Uh, yeah, we specifically gave a number of recommendations because we didn't want it to be weighted based on who put lots of recommendations. So like, if like a few people put lots and lots of recommendations, then those particular people, their input would swamp the raw numbers, um, whereas giving everyone exactly three gives everyone a fair chance to decide what is important. And then the balance is based on what they think is important rather than how many things can they think of.
0: Yeah, good example of the thought that goes into the research design and the trade-offs that you need to make with, with the design of the research.
1: Another interesting thing, which isn't like highlighted a lot in the paper, was just how many of the recommendations were in fact themselves counterfactuals. So a huge number of people, their recommendation on the report was the person should have done X. So you know, basically, the recommendation for the report was time travel and do something different.
0: Okay, the wording of the investigations. Yeah, so I saw that in the in the results. Those counterfactuals. It was a it was a lot. It was a, it was it was, it was it, there were big numbers. I thought they were recommendations that were trying to create a counterfactual, not actual counterfactual statements.
1: Yeah, no, they, they were actual counterfactual statements. That you know, their recommendation was do it do it differently.
0: So just for in terms of counterfactuals, so. If one of the things that was called out in the incident report, and I don't know the detail, was was something like uh, the person didn't isolate that equipment, then the recommendation would be isolate equipment.
1: No, the recommendation was the person should have isolated. Oh, okay, even <laughs> okay. Like the recommendation was literally they should have. All right, cool. Should have. But what's really interesting is when we shift from that to a systems approach. So we've got mostly the same facts, but now we are presenting them in quite a different way. And this systems approach even though it may add some extra things, it keeps in all of these statements about the human. So there is still exactly the same opportunity to blame the human based on what the human has done. But the number of recommendations that involve blaming the human goes down drastically.
0: Yeah, it's down to about 9% to the individual and 91% to the system. So compared with thirty 70, you're down to about 90-10. So you're dropping by two thirds, the number of actions that are targeting the individual by broadening the information to systems perspective.
1: Yep. And none of these are now directly about punishing the individual. So changing the accent, we've not only are we no longer focusing on the individual, but we've
0: entirely stopped any idea of punishing the individual. And so Drew, those those systems, that systems approach. And and the good thing is, I think the the example reports are in the appendix of the paper as well. And is safety? It published in Safety too. I don't know if we mentioned that. That's is that an open access journal? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. We particularly published in Safety MDPI because it's an open access. Journal. Okay.
0: So so all of our listeners will be able to get access to to the paper, and you can actually read the the accident reports. It might give you a good idea for a little experiment that you can do in your own in your own organisation by getting an accident and write it up in a couple of different ways without recommendations and hand it around and see see what people say. So I think that's really fascinating, Drew. That just by expanding out the the discussion of the incident beyond the individual and the immediate sequence of events into um, sort of organisational factors which or or systemic um, factors has sort of basically provided enough context that no one says, okay, we need to discipline this worker now.
1: Yep. And then we have the third variant, and the third variant has the story told from multiple perspectives. So it actually includes in there the worker's account of what happened. And once you have included that account, the number of actions blaming the worker goes down to five. So we've gone from around 30, like almost a third, down to eight, down to five. And correspondingly, all of these recommendations have now shifted that they're now mostly talking about practices that are even, aren't even are even directly involved in the accident. Um, so we've got this category of coding, which is we're going to have a recommendation, which is a reinforcement or a change to a practice not directly involved in the immediate accident. And so you can think of that as like systems type thinking, what else is going on in the background that is influencing safety? The first report has 32 things in that category. Second report has 28 in that category. Third report, once we've told the worker's story, 50 things in that category. So half of all recommendations are no longer tied directly to the accident but are generally trying
0: to improve safety in the organisation. It's sort of fascinating I mean it, it may be a logical uh, result or, or make sense to people but it's also really a really helpful helpful result for us to think about how we can how our incident investigation process can our incident investigation reports could be doing so much more for us in terms of broader, broader improvements to safety in the organisation. So
1: my immediate thought, David, is that our incident reports are possibly even taking away some of our capacity to see these broad issues when they try to reconcile the stories. And this is something that I've heard anecdotally people saying in organisations, and it's come up in a few different studies of accident investigations. Uh, the worker, when they're telling their story, are revealing organisational issues, but that is not making it into the final report because it spoils the nice, clear narrative of what happened and who's at fault. And those broader issues that are raised by the workers are often our best opportunities to fix things that we've accidentally filtered out through this process. Um, Which sort of gets me wondering, you know, what if we didn't investigate? (laughs) What if we just got the worker to tell their story and then took that and directly tried to make recommendations coming out of it? Um, That might make a few people uncomfortable, but this seems to be evidence that we might actually get better recommendations that if we try to sort of like uncover the truth, create the one true narrative, and then come up with the recommendations.
0: Yeah, I could think, think of so many different examples of of incident stories where the operator story is just so helpful and useful for the organisation to to learn from. That is so I don't know, sanitized is the right word, but just um, narrowed up by the time it gets onto a well, it maybe gets into a long report somewhere in a system, but then whenever it gets talked about in the organisation. It gets talked about with in four or five PowerPoint slides, and I think we did ne- we did very early episode, maybe about episode eighteen or something. On is a PowerPoint slides a hazard or something like that? Is PowerPoint a hazard? So, Drew, what what other sort of takeaways would you would you have before we sort of go into sort of or do we want to go into practical takeaways now?
1: Uh, just before we do, I, th- I thought it would be worth acknowledging and talking about some different ways of interpreting these results. So Derek does quite an interesting job in the paper. He sort of says, okay, we've got these raw findings. What do we make of them? And he gives us three possibilities. The first possibility is that there's not, in fact, something going on here at all, that this is just random. And I think we can just dismiss that based on the internal evidence of the paper, that the difference between the groups is very marked. It's not coming from any sort of classification. We've had, uh, When we did the analysis, we had multiple people independently classifying it and then reconciling it. And they agreed with each other very, very closely. So there's probably something real happening. The second possibility is that we cooked the books. So the reason why we've got these results is because we deliberately made the first report look really, really bad for the human. And we deliberately made the third report look really, really good for the human. And that just draws you in particular directions. Now, that's always going to be a possibility. We can't totally rule that out when you have different information. You know, we are trying to create imitating a very human error focused report. We are trying to imitate a very sympathetic report. But the fact that there were people who read the first report and came up with very system focused recommendations, and there were people who read the third report and still came up with blame the operator type explanations, puts limits on just how much the books could have been cooked. Um, and I think the even that possibility just shows that you can present the same facts and deliberately lead people down towards particular recommendations by how you talk about them and present them, which is the point that Derek's trying to make. That, you know, from, the, from the same basic facts, what you select to highlight in the report and what story you choose to tell seems to be in leading us towards particular recommendations. Um, and then the third possibility is that we didn't cook the books, that this is in fact a thing that happens just from the presentation not from any sort of selection or um, highlighting of facts. Um, And we can't really distinguish between those, the second possibility and the third possibility. They both can be true. Uh, To actually narrow it down, you need to do like lots and lots of repeats of the same study with just tweaking a tiny different thing each time and seeing which of those tweaks made a difference. But I'm not even sure that it is worth doing that if you accept the basic point that this is showing. (laughs) We know we can influence people by how we write the reports. Exactly how to influence people in particular directions is probably going further than we need to go to make the general point here.
0: And I think to make the practical point here, so Drew, thanks for thanks for explaining that because I think that's really helpful when an author goes, you don't have to read between the lines of the results and try to think about you know what could be causing it when they the researchers themselves have done the work to try to make sense of it and, and are openly communicating that. So Drew, practical takeaway time. Yes, let's. Okay. So no particular order. I was thinking, I've been involved in presenting lots and lots of incident investigation reports to management. And I know that a number of our listeners will be doing the same. And I'm sure that they often feel like they've done a really comprehensive investigation. They prepared this this report, they present it to management. And during the presentation, the incident gets reinvestigated uh, because the management team are seeing the information and seeing the actions and it's not lining up for them. And Maybe we need to think sort of really carefully, Drew, I'm sure we really need to think really carefully about when we get to the end of the process, presenting information that uh, makes it clear and easy to know why the actions that have been identified are the accidents to go forward. So for example, from this, if you've got a very worker, uh, traditional human error type style of narrative in your incident investigation, and then you present all uh, system type fixes, then you might have a senior leadership group that goes, hang on a minute, what about the person involved? or And vice versa. So I think, I think it's important to think about as we get out, as we, narrow, as we go from a large report to a small report to a couple of slide presentation, that the narrative and the actions alignment remains. Yes,
1: I, th- I think that's very true. The second thing that you've got here, David, is about investigators training. And I'm not sure exactly what you meant by this, But I certainly think that very often we have people who have good intentions about having less blameworthy type investigations, but our processes for doing the investigation then still seem to lead us back to very human error type explanations. And so I think that's where we need to train investigators how their choice of language and their choice of framing leads them down those paths. And that understanding that things are not raw facts, things are selected facts, interpreted facts, presented facts, and that those make a real difference in how the narrative gets told. Giving people some training in that might be helpful in coming up with better investigations.
0: Yeah, Drew, this is sort of this with great power comes great responsibility and and, and you want great capability in, in people who are I mean I mean this is yeah, you know, This this research sort of shows that the way that the the investigation is written down makes a huge difference to the way that people think about their recommendations, the adequacy of those recommendations, and even even shaping, shaping the recommendations. So I suppose we've seen it on paper, but you can sort of imagine through the investigation process, the way that the investigator is conducting that investigation is continually shaping the recommendations in their mind. So we actually need to change the way that investigators are conducting the investigation itself, because my extension of these findings would be, which is this third takeaway here, is you know, you maybe need to rethink your accident investigation framework, um, all of your causal categories um, and how you actually go about your investigation methodology. Like you said earlier, Drew, does your whole report structure change to just be, you know, here's the date, date and time of the incident and here's the worker's account and this is how we just tell the worker's account and that's it. And then we we share some reflections of other stakeholders involved like managers and engineers and others. And we go workers' account, reflections of, you know, related stakeholders and then actions. So I think this idea of investigator training and investigation framework could do with some maybe deeper thinking, deeper research, through. That was what I concluded.
1: Yeah, I think amongst people who do think deeply about this, who are concerned with improving the quality of investigations or are concerned with aligning investigations with more modern safety science, they often think that the solution is to create or train people in more sophisticated models of how accidents happen. And I think one of the interesting things that this data doesn't prove, but very much hints at, is that those models may be part of the problem. That if we've got a framework which is leading us to tell stories in particular ways, that will lend us towards human blame, even if that framework has got lots of other possibilities in it. Um, So what I'm thinking of here is something like some people try to move towards a just culture by having a framework about culpability that sort of has at one end, the person is totally innocent, mistake and at the other end, very deliberate mistake, and there's a flowchart in the middle. But the trouble is that entire framework, even though it has the possibility of the human comes out as innocent mistake, it is causing you to tell a story that is a story about a human messed up. How much was it their fault? Was it a little bit their fault? A great deal their fault? Entirely their fault. It's a story about human error. Something like ICAM breaks things into categories and it says, okay, you've got to focus on the organizational aspects, you've got to focus on the work task aspects, you've got to focus on these aspects, and you've got to focus on the human aspects. And again, we're telling a story where there's factors each level, including a bunch of factors that are blaming the worker who was right there. And so even though we've got all these possibilities, ICAM still
0: ends up with lots of human error style um, findings. Yeah, and not for that. I mean, it's a very well known, very successful. Methodology is like the people framework starts with people, and I've seen, and again, not so much the framework, but the methodology as much as the the application of the methodology, because I've seen the majority of investigations I've seen have got nothing in the organisation category, and a full column in the people category. You know, so I think, I I think you're right, Drew. I think it's, you know, all of these models are kind of reductionist type models, and um, they all start with the people involved, they all start with other people's accounts of what the people involved did. And maybe it's a full flip of actually starting with the actual people involved account of of them, what they did and not sanitizing or changing that um, and getting that sort of discussed and aired and shared openly, and then go and get the reflections of other people in the organization, reflections of that, that account.
1: Uh, But I I think this kind of leads on to the next takeaway, which is that I think we should seriously ask whether the analysis phase of accident investigation actually helps us come up with better recommendations. So we've got a clear challenge here that if we just present three different accounts, one account from the person who was there and very closely involved, one account from their supervisor, one account from someone else who saw the whole thing. If we took those accounts, we could come up with some good recommendations. By analyzing it, are we improving the recommendations? Or are we just trying to narrow things down into a single clear narrative, which leads us to worse recommendations?
0: Yeah, Andrew, even you're right, even the analysis phase, but also thinking about the learning phase. Talking with a colleague the other day about sharing lessons learned from incidents across multiple sites. And th- this idea, the, the advice I gave to them was, and maybe it's consistent with these findings, is don't share actions. People have to go through the process of sense making and coming up with the actions for themselves. You know, don't. If you're sharing actions, you're not sharing learnings because you're robbing people of the learning process, which is actually arriving at at the actions. So I said, I just sort of said, share the description of the event and let the other sites go through the process of examining the description of the event and arriving at the learnings and the actions for themselves. So they were wondering why, when they were sending all these actions out to sites, no one was doing anything with them. And I said, well, because there's no learning process by giving people actions.
1: That's kind of fascinating. You're almost saying, like, if you tell people the moral of the story, then they're not going to get draw a good moral out of it. You've got to tell them the story and leave them to work out for themselves what the moral of the story is.
0: Well, maybe, yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. I, I guess, I guess the the idea there was to um, to a learning process involves involves dialogue. It involves reflection. It involves kind of like the assimilation of knowledge into my local into my my own context. And so you've got to let people go through that process to to learn. Learning from instance is not sharing actions across multiple sites was sort of my conclusion.
1: So our, our takeaway degenerated into a bit of a discussion ah, there, David. Sorry. But I hope, hopefully, <laughs> it has actually created some thoughts in our listeners about what you could do yourself or what you might think about this sort of study. Maybe we shouldn't have done takeaways, David. Maybe we just sort of said, "Okay, let's tell you the story of the study," and you yourself go through the learning process of working
0: out what's appropriate takeaways from this. Yeah, maybe we could do that one one episode. People do like the takeaways, though, though, Drew. So. Um, Maybe just deal with that, but but maybe if you if you engage with us on LinkedIn or something, we can we can uh, extend the learning together. So, Drew, the question we asked this week was: uh, Does the language we use in incident investigations change the recommendations that are produced? So, I think the short answer
1: is that yes, they do. The same facts, communicated in a different way, lead
0: people to make different recommendations. All right. Uh, Thanks, Drew. That's it for this week. We hope you all found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organization. Join us in our discussions on LinkedIn or send any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com.